So thank you for joining with us today. We're in a series that concludes today called Chosen. And I've asked Jamie Schwartz to share us basically a message on a person named Mary to understand her a little bit better. Uh, but Jamie was, she's still married to Corey, and Corey was our kids director. And while he was doing our kids directing uh, for Gateway South, she started recovery. And over the last several years, it's grown to include hundreds of us across multiple campuses. And then she became our kids director and then our restore pastor. And then now she's kind of moved into a whole new realm of ways of serving. And so I didn't know what to call her. So I just put on the name title, Jamie Schwartz, Living Legend, Gateway South Living Legend. So I know you'll be excited to hear from her when she comes up after this brief video, I want you to give her a big warm welcome, but I wonder if your story sounds a little bit like theirs. I guess he saw something in me that I never saw, if I'm being honest. He read my mail and could see through my rule-following religious junk. My life was a train wreck before I met him. I couldn't tell you where I began and where everyone else started. For the first time, someone truly saw me for who I am, not just what I've been through. For someone who loves trophies and lives for achievements, I just found myself lost, aimlessly wandering, when one bone sank, onto the next. Until I couldn't run anymore, it was like everything I never knew that I always wanted. It was staring at me. In the blink of an eye, my whole world changed. I can't really tell you why, but it's hard to describe when perfect love. When Jesus chose me. He chose me. He chose me. He chose me. Testing. Awesome. You guys are going to hear me one way or another. <laughs> Today we are going to be finishing up our Chosen series. And throughout this series we've been talking about being loved and chosen by God. And we focused on how when we radically encounter who God really is in the greatest way possible, nothing is ever the same. So today we're going to conclude our series with the story of Mary. Ah, yay, here you go. <laughs> we have the best tech team. They are on it, and they are always there for us, and it's such a great honor to have them serving with us. So I am very grateful for you guys and all that you do. So as I was saying, we're going to be talking about Mary today. And as we talk about and explore Mary's story, you're going to see an example of her costly worship and sacrifice. And I think we're all going to experience being inspired by her, but also being challenged by her, and I hope being encouraged by her. Through Mary, we are going to get to see that when you really encounter who God is, you have a choice to go all in. So as I was preparing for this message and I was thinking about that statement and what it means to go all in, 
I was thinking about how sometimes going all in isn't necessarily a good thing. Like going all in with your denial or going all in with your addiction, probably not good and can actually lead to some pretty destructive uh, patterns in our life. But I do think that there are times when going all in can be really good for us. And so the first thought or story that kind of came to my mind when I was thinking through my own experiences of going all in with things is something that I refer to as my kickball story. I refer to it as my kickball story because I don't play kickball. So this is literally my only kickball story that I have for you guys. So when I was working here on staff, they would do something that they were just like, get the staff together for these events that were really meant to be like team building opportunities. And they usually revolved around some sort of friendly competition. I say that because there are some really competitive people on the staff at Gateway. Friendly competition. Well, for me, I'm just going to be honest with you guys. I did not like these events and I did not look forward to them. To be even more transparent with you, I actually went out of my way to try to find ways to get out of it. So the first time they had this kickball event, I actually ended up getting sick on that day, praise Jesus, and I didn't have to go, and I was actually really excited to be sick. But then the next year came around, and I was actually healthy and fine, and so I didn't really have a legitimate reason to not show up, but it doesn't mean I didn't try to look for one. I actually looked for all these different ways that maybe I could get out of this. You might be wondering, why did Jamie want to get out of this so bad? Well, it wasn't that I didn't enjoy spending time with my coworkers. I actually really loved my coworkers and really enjoyed spending time with them, but I didn't play kickball. And I was scared that I was going to go out there and make a fool out of myself. And so I was basically telling myself, it's just not your thing, Jamie. You just don't like that kind of stuff. When really what was going on is I was afraid of making a fool. And so one, as I was getting closer to it, I was like trying to find a way out. I even asked my husband, I was like, hey, do you think you could go get off work and go play in my place? And he was like, no, that defeats the purpose. <laughs> You're supposed to be bonding with your coworkers. So finally, I had to suck it up and realize, like, I don't think I'm getting out of this. And I sat down and kind of had a come to Jesus moment where I feel like God really helped me to see that I wasn't wanting to play kickball. I wasn't wanting to do this because I was afraid. And fear was holding me back from trying new things. So in this time, I made a decision. I was going to go all in with this game. I was going to show up to this game. I was going to have a great attitude. And I was going to give it everything I had. So on the day of... I got to the field a little bit late, which is normal for me, and as I was kind of coming in, hoping nobody would notice, my team immediately spots me, and they're like, Jamie, you're up, it's your turn to kick, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is it. So I walk up to the plate. Guys, I was scared to death. I get up to the plate. I'm like, Lord, please just help me not fall flat on my face. Please help me make contact with the ball and not do like one of these where the ball just rolls right past me. I just wanted to make contact. So I go up. I probably look like a little kid with my eyes closed like, ooh, and kicked. And guess what? My foot made contact with the ball, and the ball took off this way, and I took off to first base, and I was sprinting. And mind you, at this point, I don't know when the last time I had sprinted was, but I was sprinting this day, and I sprinted as hard as I could to that base, and guess what? I made it. And I was super excited because I had gotten on first base. 
I not only kicked the ball, but I made it to the base. But you really don't have that much time to celebrate and kick ball because the next person is coming up and they're getting ready to kick the ball. And my focus had to turn on trying to run and make it to second base. So, you know, I'm kind of feeling good. I just did this. I just ran really hard, made it to base. I was safe. So I take off for second base, and I am giving it everything I have. Remember, I've gone all into this game. I'm not holding anything back, and I am running as hard as my can, <laughs> as my body could possibly go. And as I'm running, one of my legs starts to feel kind of funny. Kind of like, you know, wobbly, like jello, like it just wanted to like give out on me. And before I knew it, both of my legs were totally giving out. And I knew in that moment, Jamie, you are not going to make it to second base. <laughs> You're going down. And so in a last-ditch effort to try to like just go all in and give it all to my team, I dove for the plate. And I made it. I mean, I hit really hard and scratched up the whole side of my leg, but I made it to the plate, and I was so excited. And then they yelled the words you never want to hear, out. Yeah, I got tagged out. But guess what? You might think that I was embarrassed by this, but I am happy to tell you that I was not. I was so excited because, yes, I had tried, and yes, I had fallen, but surprisingly to me in that moment, I was having fun. I was going all in, and I was actually having a great time. I didn't care if I had made a fool out of myself in that moment. I didn't care if I had fallen in front of everyone because what I knew is like I'm giving it my all. I'm trying my hardest, and I wasn't embarrassed about that. I was proud of it. I was proud of the scratch on my leg. I was proud of putting myself in that position. And most of all, I was grateful and I was proud of the fact that I had confronted my fear and gone all in with this game. And on the other side of that, I was feeling like I had won. I didn't actually win that day. The game, I didn't. I lost it. But in my mind, I felt like confronting and overcoming my fear was a win for me. And it was actually after that game and the fun and the story and all of that that I actually stopped and thought about what other areas and opportunities in my life is fear holding me back from? It started to make me evaluate my life and evaluate the other things that maybe were just on the other side of me confronting and pushing through some fear to realize the fullness that possibly God has for me that fear is keeping me from. So I want to ask you guys, going all in with things can be scary, right? Because usually if you're going all in with something good, it might cost you something or it might challenge you in a way that's uncomfortable, Fear is one of the things that it's one of the obstacles that most often holds me back from stepping out in faith and trusting God and my life. It's so tempting for me to stay in my comfort zone and just isolate myself. I wonder if any of you guys can relate with that. Maybe you have your own stories of things that you've wanted to do or you've been asked to do, but fear has held you back from. What are some of the things that you are holding on to and that are holding you back from going all in with God in your life? Is there an area in your life right now that you're struggling to trust God with? 
we are also going to have the opportunity to reflect on our own lives. But before we do, I'd love for you guys to just bow your heads and let's pray together and ask God for his help. God, we thank you that even in moments where tech isn't working right and things aren't always going the way we planned, that you make a way for us. And so we just want to pray to you right now as we come together, as we hear Mary's story, as we reflect on it. Our prayer is that we wouldn't just hear it. Sometimes it can be easy to listen to somebody else's story, but hard to apply and really look at our own hearts and evaluate our own hearts in the process. And so my prayer is that you would meet with us today and that you'd speak to each one of us right where we are and that you would encourage us and challenge us and inspire us through Mary in the ways that you know we need, that you know are best. And so we just ask for your guidance, we ask for your help, and we ask for you to lead us through this time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we are going to be looking at Mary's story in John chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. And that's going to be in the New International Version, the NIV. And so I would just want to encourage you, if you have your Bible and you want to pull it out and follow along with us, that would be great. It will also be up on the screen, so you can follow along with it there. Or if you don't have a Bible app on your phone, the Bible app that I love to use is called YouVersion. It's great. It's free. So you could even download it right now on your phone if you want to, so you can follow along. And uh, it has a lot of cool resources that you can use to read the Bible, so I highly recommend it. So like I said, it'll be on the screen, and I just want to encourage you. We're going to read through this together, and I'm just going to go through all of it, and I want you to read along with me and just soak it in and notice any places that particularly stick out to you. If you have your Bible out or your Bible app out, you might want to highlight or note those places so that after the service, when you go home, you can actually go back and reflect on those things later by yourself with God. So for today, we're going to focus on John 12, but you can actually find this same story in Matthew chapter 26 and Mark chapter 14. Those two tell the same story but give different bits of information. So while I'm going to be focusing on John 12 today, I will be referencing at different times those other two stories as well. So to set the scene, let's clarify which Mary we're talking about because, let's be honest, there's a lot of Marys in the Bible. So this particular Mary is the sister of Lazarus, who we were talking about and singing about earlier, as well as Martha. And this is the Mary that we find sitting at Jesus' feet in Luke chapter 10, listening intently to Jesus while her sister Martha expresses her frustration to Jesus that Mary isn't helping her with the hostess duties. That in this account, we see that Mary has already been showing that she's prioritizing Jesus above what others, including the culture of the time, would approve of or think was right. And Jesus affirms her for this decision, for this choice. And then Mary shows up again in John chapter 11, where it's recorded her brother Lazarus was very sick and he actually died. But in a truly miraculous turn of events, Jesus comes to him, raises Lazarus from the dead in front of many witnesses who are just left in awe, including Mary. So as Mary witnesses this, can you imagine what she must have been thinking? 
I mean, put yourself in her shoes. She was in full grief. She had lost her brother. She had no reason to believe that she was ever going to get him back again. She saw something happen with her own eyes that she would have previously thought was impossible. In the days since her brother's resurrection, can you imagine what Mary must have been thinking? What she must have been feeling? Can you imagine how grateful, how amazed, what joy Mary might have felt at having her brother back again and what she had seen and experienced? How does somebody respond to something like that? How do you think you would respond to something like that? It's here that we pick up with Mary's story. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was being given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who would later betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It's worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and they came, not because of him, but also just because of him, but to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priest made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Now I want you to notice that this passage starts by letting us know the time frame. It's six days to Passover. The very next event recorded in John's account is what we refer to as Palm Sunday, what today is. And this was a time where everybody was coming to praise Jesus as he entered into Jerusalem, many of them waving palm branches and crying out, Hosanna, meaning save us now. They had the right praise, but they had the wrong expectations of how Jesus would save them and from what Jesus would save them. They were hoping for the arrival of a political kingdom that Jesus would rescue them from their Roman oppressors. But Jesus knew that they misunderstood and that they didn't grasp the fullness of what he had come to do. And he knew that this faulty understanding would lead some of these very same people shouting for him to save them, to turn on him and call for his crucifixion. How tempting it can be to turn on Jesus when he doesn't bend to our expectations of him or fix things the way that we think he should. So as Jesus prepared to enter Jerusalem, he knew what he was walking into. He knew what was to come. He knew how the mob would turn on him, how many would betray him, that he would be beaten, humiliated, mocked, tortured, and that he would die. And yet here in Bethany, 
as all of that looms ahead, we find Jesus sitting at a dinner with his friends, being honored and loved by their hospitality. Then in comes Mary. During this time, it was common to honor a special guest with a few drops of fragrant oil on their head. But Mary goes far beyond what is customary. Between Matthew, Mark, and John's accounts, we find out that Mary not only anoints Jesus' head, but she also pours oil on his feet and wipes it with her hair. Now, usually, a servant would have the job of washing the feet of the guest as their feet would be dirty from walking on dirt paths and sandals. But Mary, what Mary did was not usual. What Mary did was extravagant. What Mary did was costly. And it was risky. I just, can you picture it? Like a room of mainly men gathered around a table, dining and talking. Can you imagine Mary's heart just beating so fast as she considers what she's about to do? She's probably been thinking about this all day long, but this moment is finally here, and all that's left is for her to act, to step out in faith and act. What might have been going through her mind? What thoughts or fears did she have to confront in that moment and overcome as her hands were clutching her most valuable and prized possession? Maybe she thought, this is it. Have you ever had a this is it moment where you knew God was worth it, but in order to act, you had to confront a fear or make the sacrifice or take the risk? Whatever Mary was thinking in that moment, what we know is what she chose to do. She chose to act. John identifies the type of oil that Mary used as nard oil. Nard oil was made from a plant in India, and it was imported, which made it very expensive. At the time, a pint of nard oil was, like it said in the scripture, worth a year's wages. The other passages tell that at this moment, the oil was in a beautiful alabaster jar that she broke in order to pour all of the oil out onto Jesus as she anointed him. She didn't hold anything back. She broke the alabaster jar, poured it all out, and went all in. She couldn't put anything back in the bottle. She gave it all to Jesus. It's fair to say that this was probably the most expensive thing that Mary owned, and it wasn't something that could be easily replaced, if ever. Maybe it was even her inheritance. We don't know, but what we do know is that she didn't hold anything back for herself or for anybody else, Mary poured it all out and she gave it all to Jesus. But not only did Mary give her most valuable prized possession, she also risked her reputation and honor in the process because it was customary for Jewish women to keep their hair bound in public. Mary risked her reputation by letting down her hair and using using it as a towel to wipe Jesus' feet as an intentional act of love and humility and devotion to Jesus. Mary put a lot on the line here. 
but her actions were expressing the type of worship that she believed that Jesus was worth. Her gift wasn't an ordinary one. It was an extraordinary one because Mary believed that Jesus was worth her very best, and so she gave it all, went all in, and held nothing back. When you realize that G- what Jesus has done, you hold nothing back. Extravagant love invites extravagance. Jesus' extravagant love invites an extravagant response. God has gone all in with us. He doesn't withhold his love, but instead through Jesus, he pours himself out on our behalf so that he can give us life, full life, new life, eternal life. But yet often, I think our fear and our self-centeredness can get in the way of us responding to God and choosing to surrender our lives to him because we worry about what it will cost us. For Mary, her costly worship emits a beautiful aroma of extravagant love and honor that deeply moves Jesus. However, not everyone responds that way. As beautiful as that moment was, Judas was appalled. His words are sharp and they stink with self-righteousness. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It's worth a year's wages as if Mary didn't know how much it was worth. Now you might think, Judas has a point. After all, it appears that his concern was for the good that this could have done for the poor. But John cues us into information that they found out after the fact. Judas's motives were self-serving. Judas had been keeper of the money bag and had been helping himself to their money and stealing from them. Behind his pious facade, Judas was a thief. It's easy to judge Judas here, but let's not pass up an opportunity to evaluate our own hearts and motives. How often do we, like Judas, say one thing to prop ourselves up as good or right or spiritual or as if we're better than others when secretly our motives are selfish or self-serving? While Mary believed Jesus was worth her very best, Judas' response implies that he wasn't worth this gesture. That Jesus wasn't worth Mary's worship, Mary's gift. When you follow Jesus and go all in, your lifestyle and choices won't make sense to a lot of people. Mary's worship was true, even if Judas misjudged her. She willingly risked being criticized and being misunderstood in order to give Jesus her best. Going all in was costly, but Mary believed that Jesus was worth it. Now, Jesus sees straight through Judas, and he offers a compassionate defense of Mary. He says, leave her alone. Jesus said, It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. He affirms her actions and reveals that they actually achieved a higher purpose than even Mary could have realized. 
These types of fragrant perfumes were often used during burial to combat the stench of death. And while Jesus had been telling his followers that his day was coming and he'd been telling them about his death, they still didn't fully understand what would happen. Yet we know that Jesus was nearing his death and that this oil was blessing him and anointing him as he prepared for what was to come. While the poor would be with them always, Jesus only came once in history to die for, the, for all of humanity, and he was going to be going away soon. Mary and Judas had conflicting responses to Jesus. Mary's response to being chosen and loved by Jesus was to choose him back and to go all in, devoting her life to him and giving him her all. But both Matthew and Mark's accounts reveal that it's at this point, after this encounter with Jesus, that Judas decides to go to the chief priest and to betray Jesus. Now, according to John, similar conflicting responses were actually happening outside. There were those who were responding in faith and choosing to believe in Jesus, and there were those who were rejecting him and plotting against him. Like Mary, each one of us is living out our story. And like Mary, each one of us has a choice to make. The question I want us all to consider is how will we respond to Jesus? How will you respond to Jesus? When we recognize that Jesus chose us, we have a choice. Like Mary, we can choose to pour out our everything because of who he is and what he's done. Or like Judas we can choose to walk away. God's love draws us in to find life in Jesus. There's an attractiveness to the gift of God's love, his mercy, and his grace poured out for us through Jesus because we know we cannot on our own reconcile our lives back to God. It's through Jesus that our wrongs are paid for and that our relationship with God is restored. And yet, wrapped in God's grace is choice. We still have to choose and even more challenging to understand is that while God loves us and pours himself out for us and desperately wants us to choose him, he will not force us. He lets us reject him and turn from him if we choose to. God will not force us to choose him, but he wants us to. And when we do choose him, when we choose Jesus, we receive his sacrifice and all that it's purchased for us. Like Lazarus, Jesus calls us out of death and into life. Mark Batterson says it like Jesus doesn't just make bad people good. He brings dead people back to life. A life where we are no longer living for selfish, self-centered gain like Judas with secret motives at work in the dark. But instead, this is a life that we live in Jesus in the light. We let go of former ways that seemed good to us at the time but led to death. And instead, we embrace the path of life that Jesus set out for us, going all in to live according to his will and his ways. And as we come together and we unite around our love and devotion to Jesus, the power of God's love bubbles up from within us and pours out to the world around us as a beautiful fragrance, inviting others just like you and me to come to Jesus and live. 2 Corinthians 2.14 says it like this. 
God uses us to make the knowledge about Jesus spread everywhere like a sweet fragrance. The question that today's story, that Mary's story, challenges each of us to seriously consider is how have I responded to Jesus? How will I respond to Jesus? We want to create space for your response today. For some of you, your response may be to reflect on what you heard. Maybe you have questions and you'd like to talk to somebody. You can fill out a Connect card or go out to the Connect spot and let them know that you would like to talk to somebody about faith and have a conversation. For others of you, you may be ready to go all in with Jesus right now for the first time. And if that's you, we have a wonderful prayer team that will be right over here at the end of the service. And they would love to talk with you and to pray with you. And if you would like help to guide you through that. So please feel free to come over here and to meet and talk with one of them. They'll be ready and waiting for you. And for everyone else if you've chosen, whoever has chosen to go all in with Jesus, we want to invite you into a time of reflection and remembrance that we call communion. We take communion the first Sunday of every month and at our worship nights. And Jesus called his followers to observe communion as a regular way of reflecting on our lives and identifying any areas where we may have fallen back into old patterns of selfish, self-centered living. This serves as an opportunity for us to address our own hearts with God. Think of it like instead of yard maintenance, we're talking about heart maintenance. This is a time for us to address any weeds that are starting to root up in our lives and to deal with them instead of letting them have their way with us. We're especially encouraged to work out our differences with one another and our conflicts as often as possible, being quick to forgive each other as Jesus has forgiven us. We take communion to remind us that we are now one body in Jesus, and all of the body parts work together to care for the whole body, and so should we. We are reminded that how each body part treats the other parts of the body is really important. So we should work out our differences so that we can remain in communion with one another in Jesus. And so that fighting between us doesn't distract us from loving the world around us. Jesus is the ultimate example to us of life-changing love poured out for us through his substitutionary sacrifice. And so communion also serves as a time for us to remember Jesus and to encounter his love for us afresh by reflecting on his sacrifice, the sacrifice that he poured out for us and his everything that he laid down for us. He took the just consequences for our wrongs on himself and paid our debt so that we would be able to experience freedom and justice would still be served. And in return for paying our debt, he gives us life, the gift of life, resurrection life, so that now and forever he has defeated and overcome sin and death and so that those who choose to walk with him can walk in freedom and victory forever. As the band plays, I would encourage you to take this time to reflect, to do some heart maintenance between you and God and to consider what you need to confess to him or what he's calling you to lay down at 
to surrender. Ask him for forgiveness. Ask him to show you who you need to forgive. And in a little while, I'll come back up here and lead us 